You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Got to start it off with tonight being really about Denver, the Denver Nuggets, legacy building, all of those things. We are coming to you immediately following the Denver Nuggets winning their first NBA finals, their first NBA championship in franchise history. They take game five over the Miami heat 94 to 89. And Adam, I I just want to say really about this game and we can get into some of the larger picture stuff or some of the granular stuff or however we want to go with it in terms of the finals itself and, and what it all means, the historical implications of it, but just, straight up like this game was the first compelling one for me since game two when miami won game two and tied the series at one one you know it was a blowout in game one in favor of denver obviously and then games three and four were also really in favor of denver in a way that didn't really feel that compelling of a of a finals and a compelling basketball theater but this game when you look at it between miami I wouldn't say dominating the first half, but it was Miami the first half and Denver the second half. And obviously it was more of Denver in the second half than anything that was the deciding factor in this game. But the back and forth, the defense in this game, some of the defensive plays, the calls, obviously that Jimmy Butler call uh, from the three-point line when he's when he's uh, supposedly fouled by Aaron Gordon, they challenged the call and he's, and he's still – ends up getting that call, didn't really look like a foul, looks like he kicked his leg out. That was kind of the moment for me when I changed my mind on who I was rooting for. I was like, man, the the Heat can't win the game after this, you know, after a call like this. But, I mean, so many moments, and I talked about the defense, you know, KCP with the uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope with that steal on Jimmy Butler toward the end of the game, and uh, Aaron Gordon's block on Kyle Lowry. Like, there were just so many moments in this game that made it much more compelling than the two games before it. And I was glad that the finals ended on this note. Before we get into some of the larger picture stuff, what were some of your reactions and key takeaways from this uh, from this finals game five that that gave the 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 championship to the to the Denver Nuggets? I mean, it just shows you how difficult it is to close a team out, especially a team that has as much pride as Miami does and has played the way that Miami has all postseason. And you kind of knew that they were going to bring a lot in this game just off of what you've seen the entire postseason. And for them to get off the mat after losing game six of the East finals, uh, that was very easily one of those spots where they could have just folded away. And a lot of teams would have just folded in that spot, losing three in a row, especially losing the third game the way that they did on a, on basically a put back at the buzzer uh, where it looks like you have the game one. So you knew that they were going to come out with a lot tonight and they, and they did. And then I, I just think that ultimately they ran out of gas and that 
tends to be what happens once you get to this stage of the postseason, especially when you are relying on just a couple of guys the way that they are. You know, Jimmy Butler is responsible for so much of the offense that, that they provide, and he really didn't have a lot, and really up until the late stages where he really dug deep and, and found something late in the game. So um, it, it's Denver was probably the best team all season. It was not, I think they went into the playoffs being underestimated just because of how they looked towards the end of the year. And I saw them in person the last week of the season. They did not look like a great basketball team in that game at Toyota center. Granted, they did not really play all their guys. And I remember they sat Jokic like early in the fourth quarter and they never brought him back. And so you could tell that they were kind of, you know, they were in cruise control towards the end of the regular season. It, it kind of shows you how meaningless the regular season kind of is because you had a Denver team that had sewn up the number one seed in the West really, really, really quickly. So they basically just punted on the last month of the year. And then Miami finishes with the seventh best record in the East and they have to get in because of the play in tournament and they barely got in that way. So, um, this is not this is not a great postseason for the regular season really matters. I think that's the one takeaway that I have, not just from this series, but just from from the postseason altogether. I think that's an interesting takeaway, actually, though, especially as it relates to Denver. And and I'll make it specific to Jokic on this point that the regular season and the postseason have to kind of come together. You have to have sort of both in your legacy definer and that's how i look at this with Jokic. you know back-to-back -back mvps the previous two years he doesn't get the mvp this year after a very i would say tenuous conversation about his mvp candidacy right you know like it looked like he was gonna win a third straight mvp there and then there's a conversation there about what wait a minute should they be giving this guy a third straight mvp is he that kind of historical figure what would it mean if he got a third straight mvp and there's all kind of different conversations about it, the, the merits of it, uh, how, how race plays a factor into it, a bunch of different angles that that this took. And then lo and behold, Joel Embiid, I think, played a few more games maybe. And like, like you mentioned, they Denver Nuggets went on cruise control toward the end of the season there. And it looked like, uh, you know, it looked like they were really kind of focused on the postseason. But then you get into the postseason and you look at how they performed, how dominant they were this postseason and to me it is i mean obviously it goes without saying the nba finals would be the crowning achievement for nikola Jokic, but it is the culmination of all of it right adam i mean the last two years he's the mvp and then the question is okay can he get it done in the postseason and he gets it done in the postseason now you're talking about a guy okay and and this is on the legacy defining stuff you're talking about a guy that does have two regular season MVPs back to back and now is a champion is one of the finals has been the best player on the finals a finals MVP okay and so there's there's Jokic now you're talking about him in a very very different conversation historically as opposed to hey this guy hasn't gotten it done in the playoffs and now you got to start talking about him within the conversation of the top certainly the top 50 players in the NBA history and and maybe even higher than that you know depending on how far you want to go with it and then I think about Jamal Murray as another guy. And then those two guys as a tandem, man. I mean, you're talking about Nikola Jokic, a guy from Serbia, uh, Jamal Murray coming out of Canada, and these guys coming together, homegrown with Denver, uh, two stars. And Jamal Murray, 
goes from being a guy that we just kind of talk about as being like, yeah, he's probably an elite player in the NBA, but you know, what is he without postseason success? Now you look at this postseason run and what he did throughout, what he overcame with the injury, tearing the ACL a couple of years ago, coming back from that. I mean, to me, it just changes the conversation entirely on a lot of the guys, or I, I would say really everyone on this team. I mean, even think about the role players, KCP being a guy who's a two-time champion, who who would have thunk it that Contavious Caldwell Pope would be somebody that you have to talk about as a role player, as a historical figure, the steal on Jimmy Butler in this game to kind of help them win the game. And obviously he was on the championship team with the Lakers a few years ago. I mean, it just really changes the narrative. It, it, it The finals for me just says a lot about how much the narrative can change and, and sort of direct on a particular player and a particular set of players. Well, it's Jokic in particular because he's the best player. And there was always the feeling, and this kind of gets into a team building thing where it, it always feeds into the, well, you can't win a championship with that type of a player as your best player with a, you know, kind of a, a center um, who's not the most athletic guy in the world who you can really hunt on defense. Like it, You can't win a championship that way. And this just proved that you can win a championship that way if that guy is as special as Jokic is. And, and he showed throughout this entire postseason. I mean, he's the best player by far in this postseason. It wasn't even close. Just the consistency, the minutes that he was playing. I mean, he's playing well over 40 minutes a game during this series, and he's doing that in altitude, by the way, half the time, which also cannot be that. That must be factored in as well because, you know, playing 40 minutes a game in Denver is a whole lot different than playing 40 minutes a game in Miami, especially when the defense is just basically they are game planning for you. And so – um he has vaulted himself into a different stratosphere of player. And that goes without saying, and all the, all the things that you kind of poked at with him in the past, you can't do it anymore. And it's not like this was a fluky uh, championship either. They went 16 and four, you know, the first round they, you know, they beat an eight seed in the first round, but Hey, that's, that's what happens when you're the one seed uh, the second round, they beat a team with Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Chris Paul. In the conference finals, they beat a team with uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And in the finals, uh, yeah, they, they beat an eight seed essentially, but that's not a normal eight seed. So this run is special. And I think the net rating is going to be over eight. We haven't seen a champion with a net rating of over eight since the Warriors in 2018. Um, that's special territory. That Warriors team was special. This Denver team is special. I, I think they're going to be able to keep almost all of it together, which is really important. I mean, you look Murray, Jokic, Porter, um, Gordon, these guys are going to be together for a long time. Uh, Pope, uh, Caldwell Pope, I think, I'm not sure what his contract looks like, but there's no reason to think that he won't be, you know, with that team for a while. The only real question mark, I guess, right now is Bruce Brown, which would be a big loss if they lose him. But that's what happens when you win a championship. And so Michael Malone said, um, you know, uh, during the celebration, like, hey, we're coming back next year. I mean, he's he's right. That, that team's going to be right there next year. And to me, they go into next season as the clear favorites to win another championship. That's how good they are. And you, you don't, one of the things I was talking about with the regular season, you look at that team, that, that's better than a 53 win team, but that's how many games they won during the regular season. You, know, you don't see a lot of 53 win teams in the regular season, then go 16 and four in the playoffs. And it just shows you uh, how essentially the regular season just isn't that big a deal anymore. They did just enough to get the one seed and then they turned it on once you got to postseason play. Yeah, man, I, I I like to look at how some of the role players figure into 
the bigger picture but you're absolutely right about it really being about Jokic. i mean that's the big story and i i talked about it a moment ago and you mentioned it well how you have to like there's no way around the Jokic conversation now right when, when it was just and to your point about the regular season not mattering when it was just hey you won back-to-back mvps it didn't really feel as big because there wasn't much of a postseason conversation around it and then now you have everything that you described not only did they win the championship but he was by far the best player in the postseason and was was truly like dominant and and historic and in his closeout game adam like the first half i mentioned earlier was all miami but in this closeout game as denver wins it in five Jokic scores 28 points with 16 rebounds and he's 12 of 16 from the field 12 of 16 the guy missed four shots and it felt like in the first half he wasn't really much of a factor and this was an ugly game just to be clear game five of the finals but Jokic, the efficiency the ability to control the game i mean all of it is just it, it's just something that I, I don't feel like we've actually seen before from a player uh, with with this sort of size and skill and, and ability. I, don't, I wouldn't say we haven't seen it before at all, but it is very particular and unique, I think, to Jokic. And he's just in an entirely different conversation for me. Um, I, I do want to mention about Jimmy Butler, though. We're talking about the Denver Nuggets, and it's a it's obviously something that you want to focus on as the champion. But even Jimmy Butler here in this series to me is significant. Like I, I think about how I've seen already comments on social media about Jimmy. Can you still call him playoff Jimmy? Is that a name that you can, or a nickname that you can still give him after he comes up short in the finals? And I'm like, Hey, you know, he wasn't great at certain moments in the finals, but like, you can't lose sight of the fact that, Hey, he scored those nine straight points there at the end. He turns it on at the end when they really needed Jimmy Butler. And you could hear Jeff Van Gundy talking about it in the broadcast, like, hey, this is the moment where they needed to be Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. They need something out of their stars. And for a moment there, they actually get it. And you talked about it, too. They run out of gas. They just simply run out of gas against a much better team. But I feel like rather than the immediate reaction with even the Miami Heat being, hey, they they, they came up short or what their shortcomings are, it's it's to look at, sort of the accomplishment of just getting here as an eight seed and challenging the Denver Nuggets the way they did in this closeout game. I was, I came away from the game, Adam, impressed with the Miami Heat, even in defeat. Well, you have to be. I mean, they they got to the finals and they, they almost won game five on the road with really everything stacked against them. Um, so you have you, everything that you saw out of the heat over the last two months is impressive. It just is to to go out and take out the top seed, the team with the best record in the league in the first round to, you know, jump out to a 3-0 lead in the conference finals, blow that 3-0 lead and then win game seven on the road to win game two of this series on the road when you're down going into the fourth quarter. I mean, th- that's a, a it's an incredibly impressive team. Just everything about the heat is impressive. Um, and and it, it's been that way now for almost for 25, 30 years, ever since Pat Riley got there. And it, you know, it, it makes you wonder because you've seen this recently where um, 
uh, Minnesota went out and hired Tim Conley, who really built this Nuggets team. You know, Calvin Booth finished the, he finished it uh, with some of the moves that he made, most notably Bruce Brown drafting Christian Brown in the first round. Uh, but Tim Connolly is really the one who got this started. And then you go look at Miami, and for whatever reason, all these guys that work for the Heat that have been there forever, no team is looking to go jump at them. Andy Ellsberg, who's been essentially Pat Riley's number two for a long, long time. For some reason, no other team has looked to hire him. Uh, Chris Quinn has been Eric Spolstra's lead assistant for a while now. No team is, has really looked to hire him. So it, it's somewhat, you know, to me, it should be a copycat league, and you should be trying to copy what both – the Nuggets have done just in terms of team building, and we can get into that. And then just how the Heat have run their organization over going back, you know, to 1995, the day that Pat Riley got there. So uh, these are two really impressive organizations. They are really well run, and it goes to show you how important organizations are to building great teams into building championship level teams because you don't see it's very rare to see the dumb organizations get to this spot. All right, man. Well, let's get into exactly that, because the way I was going to frame this conversation and you're, you're getting to it here is, you know, do the do the Rockets have a player? We're talking about Jokic. We're talking about Jimmy Butler. We're talking about Jamal Murray. You know, these, these guys who I, I think because of this playoff run and because of this finals are looked at differently or have added something to their legacies here. I was going to ask if there is a Rockets player right now on the team that could lead a group to the NBA finals. And of course we don't really know that yet. We haven't seen enough of them yet. They've got to mature. They've got to get experience. They got to do all of these different things, but let me ask the question a little bit of a different way. Since you framed it this way, what would you say are some things that the Rockets could take away from either the nuggets or the heat? Cause I think the Rockets would be glad to be either one at this point. Um, or would be lucky to be either one and, and certainly be glad to be either one. What are some of the things, obviously I mentioned it earlier with Jokic and Murray being the homegrown talents, guys that the Nuggets drafted and have only worn the one uniform. And then you look at what the Heat have done in getting Jimmy Butler. Obviously Jimmy Butler has traveled, but was a star before he got there and has become a superstar since he's been there. And, and of course there's, been the conversation and the the stories about all of the undrafted guys that they have on that team when you look at both of these teams Denver and Miami from the finals what can the Rockets sort of take from it or replicate sort of in their team building process as they try to get out of what we've seen over the last couple of years and become contenders so let's start with Miami because I think you can gain more, I think, from Denver than you can from the Heat. But there are still certain aspects of the Heat that every team should really try to to replicate. And the first would, and I know it's corny to say it, but culture does matter. And the ability for one, you know, you look at Miami, there isn't one player that's bigger than the rest of the organization. And you look at a lot of teams around the league, that's not always the case. And so... The ability to, and it's very similar to how San Antonio was built all those years with Popovich and, and Tim Duncan. One player is not bigger than the rest of the organization, and we're going to coach you hard, and we're going to get after you. And you look at, and, and this is, I, I think, probably there are two, I guess, events of the current Heat organization that I think matter more than anything else. The first is when, um, in whatever it was, 2010, 2011, when... LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh essentially tried to, to get 
Eric Spolster fired. And they went into Pat Riley's office and they said, we want you to be the coach. And Pat Riley said, no, he's the coach. That's a huge moment just in the history of the Heat organization because, as we've seen now in the decade that has followed, Eric Spolster is one of the best coaches in the entire NBA, probably one of the best that we've ever seen. Um, if if you don't have that culture built in, that you know, for I think probably most other teams, Eric Spolster gets fired and somebody else takes over. So I yeah, think that's especially for that group of stars, right? Like for LeBron, what D Wade meant for Miami, and of course, obviously having Chris Bosch too. But for for that group of players, you're you're particularly correct about that. That's a huge moment right there. The fact that Riley that Riley had basically the balls to stand up to those guys, and they stuck by Spolstra, and obviously that has worked out. So that's the first big moment. The second one for me is it was last season when Eric Spolstra and Jimmy Butler almost get into a fight in the middle on the middle of the floor during a timeout. And it, it kind of showed you that, Hey, Eric Spolster is not some sort of a pushover. And the, the, the thing that I noticed the most, the whole team got behind Spolstra in that moment. And again, it showed you just the culture that has been built there. And most notably, Udonis Haslam, like Udonis Haslam's getting ready to, to fight Jimmy Butler right there on the spot. If Spolster wasn't going to. And again, it shows you just the importance of just the culture that they built over there, where, the head coach has enough power to where he can basically get in the face of his best player in that sort of a moment and not have to worry about it. How many teams, how many coaches out there can you say that about? There are very few. And so I, I we talk about heat culture and people make fun of it, but it's real. Like it, it is absolutely real. And I think that sort of stuff matters. Um, do you want to respond or do you want me to go to Denver now? Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with that. I would say that like the, the, the heat culture, just the, the point that you just made about the head coach. And this is not, I don't want to take a shot at Steven Silas here, but like the thing that I'm immediately thinking about there is like, okay, they just hired Ime Udoka and they were replaced a guy who you just couldn't really, like I couldn't picture that scenario with the previous coaching staff that they had before. And, and that's with all due respect to what Steven Silas represented and what well, he even was. Even the one like, before that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I would ask you, when was the last time would you, you you've covered the team longer than I have? Obviously, I've been a fan of the team my entire life, but when would you say was the last time they did have a coach like that? Maybe Kevin McHale. I mean, you know, when it comes to getting on the star player, maybe Kevin McHale, but it's not like Mike D'Antoni was getting in the face of James Harden and threatening to fight yeah. James Harden. At yeah, but, during but I was gonna say, even Kevin McHale obviously won the power struggle against the star, you know, like, and, and that's not to say that Kevin McHale wouldn't have stood up to James Harden in a situation like that, but. I mean, it just it has been a long time since you felt like I guess my point is it's been a long time since you felt like the mm -hmm. Rockets had a coach that was firmly planted like that. You know, the Rockets had a coach that <laughs> the players would get behind if he got sideways with a star player, you know, and especially a popular star player or, or one who I, I should say is as respected as a Jimmy Butler, you know. So so that would be my response is that, hey, just from hearing you talk about that, I think about a move that the Rockets have made that is at least, I'm not saying that Ime Udoka is Eric Spolster, right? But they at least have from a personality standpoint, a coach that feels like that. And, and we'll see about the, you know, the team building stuff. They got a lot of work to do to come up with a roster that is, that is worthy of being in a similar conversation. And we can talk about that as well, but, but, but they're not there yet. But in terms of like specifically Spolstra and culture and establishing that we hit on a little bit of that, 
in our previous episode talking about Yime Yudoka's vision and what things are going to be like under him. I think it's really important that they made the move that they did and, and we'll just see how it plays out. You can, uh, you can get into Denver if you want as well. Okay. Let's now to Denver. I think what you learn most from how that team was built is just patience. And, you know, they, they went through, you know, you look at that roster and of, of the guys that are key contributors, there isn't a top five pick. Murray's the highest pick out of that group. And he was picked, I believe sixth or seventh. Um, they, they did not make some big free agent signing. I think the biggest free agent signing that they wound up making was Bruce Brown. And that was just this past off season. They didn't make some huge asset consolidating trade. The biggest trade that they made was, you know, getting Aaron Gordon for Gary Harris's contract back in a future first round pick. So just the patience that they showed in building out that roster where you draft Jokic, you draft Murray, you just let those guys grow together for a long, long time. And then this is the other interesting aspect of it. They could have traded Murray. I think that, and I think Michael Malone has even talked about this during this postseason run, is that Tim Connolly meant to him and say, hey, should we trade Jamal? Because you look at it, you're like right in the middle of this run with Jokic where he's winning MVPs and like, hey, you got a chance to win the title with him. And they could have made some sort of a trade to a team that was tanking and tried to to get something for Murray that would have helped them last season in their playoff run when they're starting Austin Rivers and Faku Capazzo uh, as their as their backcourt. They could have gone in and traded Murray, you know, for 75 cents on the dollar to give them somebody that would help them that season to take advantage of another uh, Jokic MVP season. And and uh, Malone said, no, like stick by Murray. And that paid off. And it, it just shows you how if you let a team grow together, that there's going there can be a payoff if you have the right guys. And I think that we have seen that um, you let Porter and Jokic and Murray and they get Gordon and they sign him. Like they spent a lot of money on that roster. They, you know, from a resource standpoint, they spent a lot. It's not like this is a cheap roster, even though they haven't made like the big free agent signing or the big massive trade, but they just made a bunch of smart moves. They stayed patient. I mean, they could have tried to maybe even tear it down last year after, after they got, uh, after they lost in the first round. Um, but they didn't. They believed in Jamal. They they believed in Murray. They made some smart trades around the edges. Um, they they basically traded Monty Morris too last year, uh, going into this season to get them KCP, and that obviously turned out to be a huge trade. And it showed how much belief that they had in Murray. So not only did they not trade Murray, they doubled down on Murray by trading his backup in Monte Morris and, and getting another starter on that team. So to me, what you learn from Miami is culture. What you learn from Denver is just the patience to let it to let a team grow together and deal with some injury, you know, bad luck here, some other stuff there. And look, you have one team that gets to the finals and another team that wins it. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time 
every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Man, that, that's actually really interesting. I hadn't thought about it from the angle of the decisions that the Nuggets made with Murray in terms of not trading him and doubling down. I think that's a really interesting way to put it. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, certainly I thought about Jamal Murray and just how much more respect. And I already knew that Jamal Murray was cold. Like he kind of established that, I think in the bubble. And of course he's been injured, but I already knew he was cold. I, I, I think that throughout this finals run, it's been all about Nikola Jokic and rightfully so, but somewhat underrated in that is Jamal Murray as a number two. And let's just be honest here with the Nuggets and, and Jokic, as great as he is, there is a sort of a lightning in a bottle aspect of what has become of Nikola Jokic being a second round pick, the 41st overall pick. You, you mentioned Murray. I think about this too. He was a seventh overall pick. And the Rockets are sitting here now with the fourth overall pick. You talk about team building. The sky is falling. <laughs> yeah, the sky is falling. But here are the Nuggets who were led to the finals and are being, you know, they have guys that are being discussed differently, I think should be being discussed differently historically now, who were drafted, number one, the, the, the best player on the team in the second round of the draft. And then two years later, Jamal Murray with the seventh overall pick. It just goes to show you of, I don't even want to say it's making lemonade out of lemons. It's just, it's just sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle. Sometimes it's just a lot about your scouting. And then it's about fit as well. And that to me stands out too. I mean, the style of play of Denver is, I think, special and along the lines of something that you would want to replicate. Just like, you know, when the, when the Warriors first burst on the scene, a little less than a decade ago, I would say about, you know, whatever it was, nine to eight years ago, and you're thinking about, oh, man, look at how they how they move the ball. Obviously, the three-point shooting, but the style of play was something that was uh, was worth admiring, and the Nuggets have that as well. Um, and, 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 yeah, just from a team-building standpoint, I'm looking like, man, the Rockets, okay, <laughs> talk about making lemons out of lemonade. Well, here they are now on their team currently with back-to-back years, they have the number two and number three overall pick. And then the third year, like you mentioned, oh, the sky is falling because they didn't get Victor Wimanyama, but they've got the fourth overall pick. It feels like based off of what you've seen Miami do and what you've seen Denver do specifically with their homegrown talent, that the Rockets should be able to make the most out of what they've had resource-wise or team-building-wise in terms of draft capital over the last couple of years with Jalen Green, Jabari Smith Jr., and whatever they whatever they're able to get out of this particular draft. Let me add one more thing to the patience part too. Um when the Rockets were when the when the Harden trade stuff was out there with the Rockets now, whatever it was, two and a half years ago, Denver had just gotten to the conference finals in the bubble. And Denver wasn't one of those teams that was on Harden's list. But people who are thinking outside the list threw Denver in the mix, basically saying, hey, what about a package that starts with Jamal Murray for Harden? And you're basically saying, and Denver probably could have done that. I don't know if the Rockets would have done it, but 
they, I don't even think they entertained it. And again, it shows you just how important the patience is to just let a team build and let a team grow and not get um, discouraged by losing in five games in the conference finals in the bubble to the Lakers. I mean, that's that to me is the big thing is that a lot of times these teams you're, you're building something and you're building something that could wind up being special, but you hit one speed bump and then you decide, you know what, we need to just tear it down. We just need to tear it all down right here. And I go back to like, you look at like the Utah jazz with Stockton and Malone, like those guys played together for over a decade before they even got to the NBA finals. Can you imagine like a duo now playing together for that long and not getting to the finals and sticking together as long as that Utah team did. Look at what people are talking about with Boston, with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Those guys were in the finals last year, and we're talking about, oh, they're not good enough together. They can't, you know, they have to break those two up. They can't win a championship if they don't break those two up. They just got to the finals with those two. What are we talking about? If you get to the finals, that means that you have the chance, you have the ability to win a championship together. And those two, as the best player, just lost in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals this year. Last year, uh, they lost in Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Um, the year, you know, a couple years before that, they were in the they were in the Eastern Conference Finals. What uh, a few straight years! What in uh, in 2017, 2018, and twenty twenty. So get out of here with the whole. You can't win a title with these two guys. And so that that would be my big cautionary tale is, don't just break something up because of one you know disappointing playoff run. And that's what I hope that people learn from this Denver group. And that's why I talked about patience. Is that you're going to, you're not always going to win the championship every single time. Like you're going to have some sort of a disappointment. Somebody's going to get hurt at the, at the, at a bad time. Someone's going to just get, go cold at a bad time. Sometimes the calls are going to go against you and you're going to lose maybe earlier than you thought you would. But if you're patient and you believe in the guys that you have on the roster, you have the ability to build something special. Don't get caught up in, well, we didn't get as far as we thought that we might this one year. Yeah. I, I think that's an interesting point. I, one thing that is certainly different about today's NBA era and the landscape of the NBA, as opposed to the the jazz era that you mentioned with Carl Malone and John Stockton is, is probably the player empowerment and salary structure and, and things like that. And, and, and players ability to form their own team. I wouldn't say form their own teams, but sort of dick stars ability to dictate where they go and different things like that. And, and, and to be fair to the jazz and, Carl Malone and John Stockton, those guys just didn't seem to be wired that way. Old school in every sense of the way for better and worse. But uh, but I, I would say to, to to take it to the Rockets, and, and I'm with you on the point about patience. I think it's an important point. I, I will, actually, I want to even stay on it for a second because one thing about watching the Rockets over the last couple of years, it's been, I would say, Adam, it's been really easy, especially if you're a fan and even as a media member, if you're just having to watch it every day like you do and, and, and like I do, it's really easy to get impatient with what you're seeing. A lot of what they the, the bad habits that are formed and sort of just the tendencies of a young team, a young, inexperienced team that has no idea what it's doing. And so it's very easy to grow impatient with something like that. And then maybe lose sight of the fact of how young they are or, or the fact that you're dealing with a young team. And so that's something that's important to me. And I think this is, is a, an important point that you're pointing out or about, about patience. But, you know, I, I would, I would ask you like, 
in terms of what the Rockets have in this core, kind of going back to my original question, like, like, I don't know, what do you, what do you, what do you see from this core that, uh, that, that you would say makes you think that maybe, um, you know, I, I, maybe a better way to, to frame it is like, what is, is there a player on this team that could be the best player on a championship team? Or is there a route to the Rockets having something like this or, or like maybe a better way to say it is the, the, the patience that the rocket show could, 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 could pay off in the way that it has for the Denver Nuggets. Right now, I'd probably say no, but that's based off of seeing these guys play together now for, or play in the NBA for two years. And in the case of Jabari Smith and Tariq in one year. And, and so that's not, that's not a fair answer to give it at this point. And I think you would have probably said the same thing, you know, after would you have said after Jokic's second year in the league that he could wind up being the best player on a championship team or after Jamal Murray's you know rookie season, could you have said that he was going to be the second best player on a championship team? I don't think there's any way. I don't think anybody in the world would have said that. So it's very difficult to project that out, at least for me. Uh, maybe some people, maybe there's some algorithm or whatever that that where you can or some measurable that somebody has where you can predict that out. For me, I can't. I think it's so, so difficult to to make that guess, which is basically what it is at this point. I see guys who are extraordinarily talented, and they can do things on a basketball floor that a lot of players can't do, and that's a good start. Uh, I would rather have that than have just a bunch of ordinary guys. Um, so to me, that I think that's a question that you might be able to answer much better in a year from now. Um, and like I, James Harden turned out to be an MVP. You know, he's an MVP. Uh, he could have won multiple MVPs. I did not know he was capable of that until the year that he finished second in MVP voting. I would not have said that after the 2013 season, his first year with the Rockets. I would not have said that after the 2014 season, his second year with the Rockets, when they even won 50 games. And he did certainly take a, a step up with his play that season. But I did not see him as a guy who could win an MVP the next year or finish. You finished second in the in MVP voting the next year. I didn't see that that year, so I think it's really difficult to predict. You almost don't know until you actually see it. So like you have to see a guy really elevate to that level before you can make the prediction that he can actually get there. Yeah, to that point, Adam, I would even say with Nikola Jokic after year three, I didn't know that Nikola Jokic would be Nikola Jokic after year three. I mean. He averaged, or his numbers after year three, 18 and a half points. And let's see, yeah, 18. I think it looks like he did, he did 18 and 10, or almost 18 and 11 after year three, or, or in his age 22 season. And okay, that's promising, but you're not and looking they missed at the playoffs. And they missed the playoffs, right? Exactly. And so you're not looking at him and saying, hey, that's going to be a historical figure. That's going to be a guy that we talk about amongst the all-time great players in the NBA, and he's going to lead his team to a championship. I don't see something like that on this team right now. I don't see a Nikola Jokic on the team. It would be ridiculous to try to predict that. But to that point, it's not like we saw that from Nikola Jokic after year three. Now, let's go beyond that. Jamal Murray, could I see Jalen Green being as good as Jamal Murray? Certainly, like, not right now in this moment is he is an efficient player and as I would say as skilled and as intellectual of a player as Jamal Murray is out there. But over time, 
like as far as ability and talent, yeah, I could see him being that level of a player. Could I see Jabari Smith Jr. being either the, you know, a, some type of complimentary piece to a championship team between his skill set, his actual basketball skill set as a defender, as a shooter, and, and I know he didn't shoot as well as, you know, people might have hoped or projected he would as even as a rookie, but you know, that's his game as someone who can shoot and play defense and has the intangibles that he has. I could certainly see him being a key piece on a team like this after some years, after some development and all of that. Tari Eason, you know, you want to talk about especially this game five game five reaction where it was ugly and it was a defensive game and it was a game about getting on the floor and getting in front of the ball and just making plays. Yeah, I absolutely could have seen Tari Eason making plays on a Miami Heat team like this or a Denver Nuggets team like this, you know? So there, there are pieces there that you say, okay, there are guys that could fit into some sort of championship role. It's just about, okay, do they have the frontline players and do they have the culture like you talked about earlier? Has that been established? How long does it take for that to be established? And then, of course, the veteran presence. You know, they, they don't really have – I don't think the key veterans that could get you, you know, that could get you a finals run like this. They talked about all the undrafted guys for the heat, but even for the, for the nuggets, like a KCP, you know, an Aaron Gordon, who was an afterthought and just known for the dunk contest in, in Orlando. And, and now you got to talk about him differently as a role player. He's a champion now, you know, Aaron Gordon's probably going to be somebody that can get a lot more work now after he retires as a champion. Uh, as he would have before, you know, it's just small things like that. Um, I, I, I think the Rockets have some pieces, but they just have to do a couple of things that you've hit on already. Establish that culture and have that patience with the guys that they have invested in and said, hey, we believe this guy is worth drafting at this spot and building our team around. And they do have a couple of guys on the team like that right now. And uh, I think there's there's a difference though between the two and that's just the wins and the losses. And I'm just going to go through the Rockets and Nuggets are actually not a terrible comparison just in the timelines. So in, uh, so in 20, let's see, it's 2016. That's Jokic's first season in the league. They win 33 games. Jalen Green's first season in the league. The Rockets win 20 games. Um, Jokic's second season in the league um, they draft Jamal Murray. So that's Jamal Murray's rookie season. Rockets then draft Jabari Smith and Denver goes from 33 wins to 40 wins. Rockets go from what? 20 wins to 22 wins. And then the next year, Jokic's third year and Murray's second year, Denver wins 46 games and they only miss the playoffs because the West was just a juggernaut that year. So I think that obviously there are pieces that the Rockets have, and we certainly need those pieces, but we have not seen them win at any sort of a level that makes you think that this team can get to those heights. And while Denver didn't win a lot either in those early years, they at least won more than the Rockets won. They won significantly more than the Rockets won during those early years. So that's why uh, I think that I, I need, that's why this is a big year. I mean, it just goes without saying that's why this is a big year because you need to see if these pieces that they have can find a way to gel together and then grow into a team that at least at this point can get to 40 wins and compete for a playoff spot because year three of Jokic 
He was competing for a playoff spot. He went into the last game of the season needing to get a win, and he would have made the playoffs. He lost to a Jimmy Butler team, and they won 46 games that year. So I don't think that Jalen Green is going to win 46 games in his third NBA season. Um, I would be shocked if that happened, but that that I think is the big difference right now is that you know we can talk about the talent that they have and the pieces that they have, but when you compare it to what De- to the, to what this Denver group was doing in their first, second, third year in the league, the Rockets are not winning at nearly the same clip. That makes you think that okay, this can one day grow into a championship level team.